On this week's episode of the I-501CU, the podcast for nonprofit board members, I have the pleasure and honor of interviewing Erin McLeod, president and CEO of Senior Friendship Center. She's been in CEO since 2016, so she navigated the pandemic and is just really comfortable in her shoes. She shares a little of her background and some of her tips for you CEOs out there. So please welcome Erin McLeod. Hey, I want to jump in real quick. Somebody asked me the other day, what does the Corley Company do? Well, we do three things for nonprofits. One, we facilitate meetings. Yes, like board retreats where we discuss governance and strategy with all the members of the board. Number two, advise CEOs and help them as they make decisions and implement actions to drive their mission. And then finally, we produce podcasts such as this one, but also for a number of nonprofits to help you get the word out, get your message out. So if you're interested in any of these services, please feel free to reach out to Michael at thecorleycompany.com. Now back to the podcast. On this week's episode, I, it gives me great pleasure to, to interview a friend of mine and somebody I've known for quite many years, and that's Erin McLeod. Erin is the CEO of Senior Friendship Centers. And as you heard in the intro, she's got just a tremendous bio. So Erin, welcome to the podcast. And if you would start off, introduce yourself and tell the audience a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Well, I'm so thrilled to be here. So thanks, Michael. Thanks for the opportunity. Gosh, you know, we back our way into our careers sometimes, don't we? And um, I did. I um, I came to Senior Friendship Centers actually in 2004 from the for-profit entity. I had been out in the country club and hotel world, so I'd done hospitality and prior to that, healthcare. But my degree was in public relations and communications from the University of Florida, and um I would tell anybody coming out of going into college and trying to decide what to major in communications is such a, a versatile degree and it served me well in so many sectors, but I was uh, a serial volunteer. I volunteered, you know, for my kids schools and church and all over, you know, a lot of different agencies. And I just was doing it to fuel this part of me that wanted to make a difference and get back. And so when the position opened up here for a director of communications, I came and I talked to um, the CEO, Bob Carter. Um, and I said to him, I'm sure you're going to interview a lot of people, but I really want this job. And uh, I think I can really make a difference. And he said, well, what would make you stand out? And I said, CPR. Don't ask me where that came from, left field. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I, I am a great communicator. I'm a professional and I am great at relationships. And I, I can I can do that for senior friendship centers. And so I was um, director of communications for about 18 months. And then I kept nagging him that he needed an operations person because I, I could see him kind of just trying to cover everything all the time. And one day he called me in his office and he said, I want you to look at this org chart. And of course, he had the operations position in there. And I said, good for you. I think this is a great idea. And I'll be a big girl. We'll all be big people and we'll report to whomever you want us to report to. He said, well, you're still going to report to me because I'm going to have you step into the COO role. I said, what do I know about operations? <laughs> and I tried to argue it with him. And he said, would you just shut up for a minute and listen to me? And it was great because he said, no, look, think about it this way. If you're, oper if you're in charge of operations, you don't have to mother may I everything you want to do. You can just do it. Well, my gosh, that sounded like hmm, the golden ticket. 
And uh, I did that for a few more years, about, about eight years. And then I stepped into a senior VP role where I took on development, which I was not a development person, but I learned all about development. And then Bob finally came to me and he said, I and he gave me his one year notice and I mm. begged him. I said, no, you can't. You can't retire. He said, no, I'm tired. I want to take a nap every day. And I said, you can take a nap here. Just <laughs> close your door. Well, he really he really wasn't kidding. And he was ready to go have some fun and he deserved it. So anyway, that's how I became CEO. I'll be, it's such a great story. You tell it such a great way. And I can, and I know Bob and I can only imagine the conversations y'all had. He's just such a, a wonderful person. So, so you wake up this one day, uh, not too terribly long ago and you're CEO. And now you've got to develop your philosophy with working with a board of directors. Cause not do you have one boss, you now have, I don't know, 15 bosses. So how do you, just curious, Aaron, how do you approach working with a board and has it evolved over time as you've become a little bit more comfortable in your position? Well, Bob always included me in board meetings from the moment I walked in the door, and I appreciated that. I was always there with a seat at the table. Even before I became a chief, I um, always had a seat at the table. And so there was always a comfort level in communicating with the board. Um, and my philosophy is we're a team. Um, and I, I really changed um, the way we talk about the organization, actually, from the moment I walked in. Um, when, when I came here, they were talking about divisions. That's our nutrition division. That's our senior center division. That's our, and I said, think about the language. Now I'm a word weenie. So, you know, I said, think about the language here. We're talking about divisions and that sounds divisive. It sounds separate. It doesn't sound cohesive. I even came to him one day because as chief operating officer, I was given the um, role of human resources, overseeing human resources. What what do I know about human resources? But I immediately took my creativity skills out and I changed the um, org chart from this hierarchical org chart to bubbles. And the bubbles were team leaders and the team leaders had all these little bubbles around of all the people that reported to them. I took it to Bob. I was so proud. He said, what are you on? He said, we can't do that. And I said, all right, but can you at least let us talk about ourselves as a team instead of divisions. He said, I'll, I'll meet you halfway and yes, and we did. And so I, I think about um, my partnership with the board, but I also see my partnership with my colleagues. No one works for me. Nobody, nobody works for me. We work together. And that's really, I, I have a very, a peer view. It's very rare that I pull the boss card out on anybody. And when I introduce people who I work with, I say, this is my colleague, but I, I, I have a rough time with it. I've had a rough time actually having um, uh, an assistant. It's hard. I, I don't know. And, and that was Bob. Bob was kind of the same way. But so anyway, my philosophy is very much that we're a team and um, I try to be transparent with everybody. I am a communicator by by training and probably I was born, I probably popped out of my mother and started communicating. So I, I'm a natural born communicator. And um, I just try to be real with everybody. And if and if things aren't good, I'm honest about it. And I, I just try to let people know, just ask me, I'm available 24 seven, ask me and I will tell you, if I have the answer, I'll tell you the answer. And I say that to the board and I say that to my team. And I 
And I try to do it with as much humor and compassion as I can, because things get tough. I mean, we talked about, you know, the pandemic being a point of pride. I try to, I try to infuse as much humor into communications as possible. It just keeps people much more engaged and willing to talk. Well, I think that's important. You said several things in there. Words are important. And just simple things is, for a leader, words are extremely important. So I'm glad you said that. You know, the word division, boy, just implicit, inherent, and that is right, is dividing. And, you know, maybe half the people wouldn't even think twice about it, but half the people, it, it, it does. And words mean things. So take us back to when you were sitting at the table b- before you became CEO at the board. Was it every meeting where you, and I'm curious because I know CEOs grapple with this. Do I bring staff in? Do I not? Do I do part of the meeting? So you know, how did, did it work and how do you do it now as a CEO? Same way. I um, I was always part of board meetings. Um, often the board would uh, ask a question and Bob would defer to me and say, Aaron, talk about, you know, they're asking a question about a program or, or maybe about communication strategies. And so having the professionals in the room that are doing this on the day, day in and day out, I think it gives our board such confidence in knowing the people that deliver the mission, Uh, whether it's in a supportive role like our finance folks, or whether it's direct service like the people that are serving meals or um, providing care in our adult day program. And um, I find that the more the board engages with the staff, the more connected they feel to the mission. Yeah, I want so, people to listen to that. Let me, let me interrupt you there, for Aaron, for a second. That is really important because there's a school of thought that you don't bring staff in and you separate them and keep them apart from the board. But you've got great confidence in yourself, comfort, loving, like, no, absolutely not. And that helps strengthen that relationship between the two. Uh, completely, completely. There's nothing to hide. I mean, when I say full transparency, ask my staff. As a matter of fact, this year when the board did my evaluation, um, one of the recommendations um, I made was, let's do a 360. Mm. Ask my, ask the people around me. Ask them and tell me if I'm not doing everything I should be doing. That's the only way I'll get better. And I don't want anybody to feel like they can't be honest with me and say, you know, I really wish you would return my texts within an hour or whatever. You know, sure. I wish you would do a walkthrough of our department more frequently. Great feedback. Yes, I you'll see me more often. You know, sometimes I say to staff, if you don't see me, that means there's nothing broken. And, you know, you know, but um, it's good to just see folks. And so when I, I got feedback like that years ago, I made it a point to try to be much more visible in the program areas. Oh, I think that's wonderful. And I, again, I think it's a testament to you because not every CEO feels comfortable enough to do that, which is unfortunate. So so let's talk a little bit about your relationship with board chairs or the CEO relationship with board chairs. So obviously, <clears throat> based on what you just said, you've got some you know openness and open communication, but talk a little bit about how you all interact, roles and responsibilities, how you orient a new one, because they, they do have a tendency to change every a year or two. So just if you talk a little bit every, about every, every, two, every two. Yeah. So yeah. that means you've had a number already. So uh-huh. how, how do you navigate that? What some good advice for CEOs? 
Well, gosh, every board chair is just a different personality. They come to uh, they come to the role with such unique qualities. And it's so funny because every single board chair I've had has been exactly the right person at the right time for this organization and for me. Um, some just some really interesting observations. Um, you know, the, their skill set, um, their personality type, all of it has just been the right person at the right time. And I think, you know, one of the very first things I do with a board chair, whoever, whether they're new or it's the beginning of a new year, is we sit down and we talk about what are their goals. Let's come up with three goals that you have as the board chair for this year. What do you want to get? What do you want to get out of this role personally? What would you like for the board to end the year and look back and say, hey, look what we did this year. That was really great. And, you know, sometimes it's a very interesting, like my uh, current board chair actually is in the aging uh, industry, and he really wanted the rest of the board to have a better understanding about all the facets of aging in America today. Um, and so he made it a point to bring in outside speakers for part of our board development every you know, for some of the meetings, not every mm -hmm. meeting, but some of the meetings to share with the board what's happening in senior living or what's being done about um, uh, in-home care, what what trends are in-home care companies seeing. And I think that's been really great. But the board chair previous, the, the previous board chair, that was not what her goals were at all. She really wanted to focus on some other things. And, and so are you, do you, do you have a natural ascendancy to the board chair? I mean, as a vice chair, I moved to board chair or is in an open election, meaning do, do you know who the next board chair is going to be in your structure? It, 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 we haven't gotten quite to that point yet. Um, we were moving along in that direction for years. And a couple of times we got almost to the altar. And the person who was heir apparent said, oh, I just, you know, I just sold my company or I, I need to, I need to travel more for my work. I'm going to have to actually step back or take a leave of absence. And so we, I felt like we were headed in that direction, but we've kind of pulled back and it really is up to our governance uh, committee in, in concert with the board chair to establish um, the that succession plan for leadership of the board. And sometimes it goes really smoothly and other times you have to kind of stop and start a little bit and do some romancing, you know, and cultivation internally because, you know, we might look and see somebody who we feel would be an ideal future board um, chair or take on a, a different leadership role that we have to work with them for a little while so that it's a comfortable transition when that time comes. The other thing that we do, I do with the boards is I review the strategic plan with them as part of our regular meetings. You know, they set their goals for the year, but I try to see if there are some logical connections between mm -hmm. the goals they have as a board chair and maybe with the strategic plans. Very and good. that's worked really, really well, because what that does is 
it helps us also think of ways that we can include and involve other board members to um, connect them with the work they're doing and, and the mission of the board and the organization. It's interesting. So you see your role in, is you new chair comes on and it's meet with him or her to establish goals, align it with the overall strategic plan. So you're really that conduit as CEO, uh, which and this is somewhat of a rhetorical statement. You're that conduit between the staff, between the organizational direction and the board. You're the one constant. It's like being a conductor. Oh, mm. I think about it, you know, and, and this is like a symphony. And, you know, you've got your your kettle drums and you've got the piccolos and you've got everything. And and we're following a score that is the strategic plan. And as that conductor of this, you know, large group of talented people, professionals, passionaries, getting them to work in concert with one another. So we are going to get through the score, through the strategic plan every year without tripping over each other. Sometimes it requires a little rehearsal. And I, I'm, I was a musician by training. And so sometimes the conductor will stop and take the orchestra or whomever, the band, whatever, through one section of the music over and over and over and over and over again until next time when you start at the beginning, it just flows. And sometimes that's what we do with our with our internal teams. We find where there's a rough edge or a rough section. Same with the board. There's a, something that we're just kind of, it's not working well, and we just work it and work it and work it until it is smooth. Hmm. Well stated. I like that. So... <clears throat> So on an annual basis, you meet, you sit down with your board chair. I think this is really important. And I think this is a, a recommendation to any CEO is to sit down with your board chair and map out the year, look ahead, get aligned. Because if you don't do that, you're, you're almost guessing you're, you're dancing a little bit and you don't know, know the direction. Yeah. And so when you sit down, it's just a, it's now become a normal, it's probably a very easy meeting to have, I would assume. Oh, it's very easy. And actually, you know, as a as an organization, there are compliancy. Um, there's, we keep a compliancy calendar. And the same thing with the board. I've created a board compliancy calendar that we know that at one of the board meetings this year, in the spring or in the fall or whatever, we're going to have to sign off on this resolution or we're going to have to have this election or we're going to have to bring in this report from our auditors or whatever. And so when we work on agenda planning for the year and we look at those agendas, we've just gone from a six meeting year to a four meeting year. First time in a 50 year history we've ever done that. And, um, you know, we decided let's try it for one year as a pilot and see if we can accomplish the same amount of work, but maybe um, attract a, a different type of board member. We're looking for some board members that may still be working. And so the six meetings a year might not be conducive. So anyway, it's it's a it's an experiment. But then that means as we plan these agendas, they have to be super intentional about them. Matter of fact, I'm meeting with my board chair tomorrow to, to finalize the first draft of the agenda for our February 27th meeting. 
Very good. So you so you're going to four from six. Yeah. yeah. But I like how you framed it. You're trying it. It's a pilot, which gives everybody a chance to pause and go, okay, this isn't etched in stone. Yep. If it works, it's great. And if it doesn't, that eh, would just go back to the way we used to do it. And it and it bubbled up out of governance, our governance committee. We were talking about recruitment. We were talking about retention, succession planning. We we're tra- talking about how, you know, with all of our committee work, there's a lot that's expected of our board. Um, and so we want to make it as pleasant an experience as possible. And as we recruit new board members for the future, we want to make sure that we're being we're adapting. Just like as an organization, we've adapted to hybrid working and remote working. You know, how have we adapted? And I don't want to see our meetings all go to Zoom mm. because I think you lose that social capital. I'm worried about losing social capital by reducing it to four meetings a year. So we're going to be very intentional about how we connect the board um, and come up with a couple of other different ways that the board's, board can gather and get together Maybe it's a Zoom cocktail party or maybe it's another board member hosting something, but be more intentional about that to make sure that we don't lose any social capital. Mm, I appreciate you being conscientious about that. Do you think going to four is going to put an additional burden on you as a CEO, a time burden between meetings? Will you have to do more outreach or are you anticipating the same? I'm just just curious. I anticipate pretty much the same, Um, you know, orchestrating a meeting is a lot of work. So to remove two of those meetings from the year, and one of them, uh, one of the four board meetings is an all-day retreat. And so, you know, that's a lot of work on me and on the other staff that participate and orchestrate the whole thing. And, you know, the day-to-day outreach I do with board members, I really love that part of the job. So it's not really, I mean, if it's more work, it's more fun. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that nice segue outreach to board members as a CEO. How often do you interact with your board members individually, whether it's in person, via email, phone call? Do you have a a certain type of rhythm that you for interacting with your board members? Gosh, you know, that's funny. It's not really very planned Mm. other than the board chair. Okay. And committee chairs. Um, Other than that, it's very organic. Um, some board members, you know, who are still working, they don't really require as much of a touch. I, I send texts. I, I love that there are so many platforms. I can send texts. I can share a post on social media if somebody's on social media. Um, I can pick up the phone and call. Um, anymore, I could send a Zoom link and say, you want to, you know, you want to have coffee. I mean, we have board members that are gone in the summertime. Um, you know, they're away for several months. And uh, sometimes I had breakfast with I had a regular breakfast um, with one of my board members that was gone from May through October. And we had a monthly breakfast that we used to have. And so when when they left town for the summer, I said, we could still do our breakfast. And, you know, she would sit there and have her breakfast and I would have my tea and we would have a Zoom. So it just depends on the board member. Some are more comfortable with one way and and some are with another. Very interesting. So you're, you're I'm curious for that. So you've got a number of board members. I'm, I'd love to ask CEOs this, and it's managing your calendar, time management, because you've got all these board members, then you've got all the staff, you got 
You've got to be visible, like you said. You got on your 360 degree feedback. You got to get out. Aaron, how how do you manage it? How do you manage the the breadth of the job? <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> I, it just I don't know. Sometimes you know, it's like being a parent, and you're carrying the diaper bag, and you're getting the car seat and you're opening the stroller and you're putting the baby in there and you're managing and you're shutting the door with your foot and you open the door with your one hand while you're carrying everything. If somebody asks you how you do that, you your answer is, I don't know, you just do it. I, I really think about, for me, a lot of it is just doing it. Because I love it so much, I don't look at it so much as a job. Not that there aren't hard days. There are some hard days. It's it's a lot, but I love it. And I um I tr- I've been better since the pandemic about making time for myself. Mm. Um I was definitely a little overachiever workaholic and learned some really bad work habits through the years from mentors that I absolutely adored and loved, but they were also workaholics. And um, I changed all that. Mm. I stopped wearing high heels. (laughs) I um, stopped working until six or seven o'clock at night. I stopped working every weekend. Um, I stopped taking a lot of work home. I just stopped because I realized I really didn't need to do that. Nobody was asking me to do that. I was doing it because I felt like that I was, I guess I was supposed to. So I don't know. I I work hard and I play hard, but somebody told me something a long time ago and they said I work I don't I work to live, I don't live to work and that stuck with me. You know how sometimes somebody'll say something and you think, "Oh yeah, I guess I am living to work and I need to stop and work to live." And so that's what I'm doing. I love this. Finally, an honest CEO. And you, you've, you're you so comfortable in your shoes. I mean, that's clearly came has come across in this interview. Especially since they're not high heels anymore. Well, exactly. And I don't know if anybody knows how tall Erin is, but um, <laughs> she needed those high heels. Five feet tall. <laughs> that's right. Shrinking so, every day. <laughs> amen to that. So you cut your hours back and you've, you've committed to yourself on the weekends. Did you see any drop off in either productivity or impact? Nope. Ah. I did not. That was the, you know, really, that was the bellwether for me. That was like, oh, duh, I guess I don't need to kill myself. And honestly, I thought I'm preaching to everybody that works around me. Go home, be with your family. Family's the most important thing. Work will will wait. Thank God we're not brain surgeons. There'd be dead bodies everywhere, right? I used to always tell everybody, you know, this is just a job. I know you love it, and but but don't work like me. Take care of yourself, right? I used to say that all the time, and then I would stay till seven and take it home and work all weekend. And and I don't know, but it was that whole time frame that this entire world went through, where everybody reassessed their priorities. And it wasn't that this wasn't a priority, but I didn't need to make it everything because I have to have some juice for me and for my family. So yeah, I, I'm i okay with it and stuff's still getting done and it's okay. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's, we could talk for hours on this because this is a really interesting topic. And it, and I think we start to realize it as we mature and realize, you know what? A lot of people don't care, <laughs> you no. know, and we, we work, we like to work. And we have that sensation of guilt if we're not putting in those 12 hour days, but the reality is you're probably less effective over time, yeah. right? It is diminishing yeah. returns. And by you cutting back your hours, you, you know what, you, you, you bring a new perspective to the leadership role. I can only imagine. Uh, I didn't people want have observed. My, I didn't want to see my kids grow up to be that. Mm. I wanted them to have a good work ethic and I knew that they would, but I did not want them to miss out on life, you know? Um, and they were watching me and your, our kids learn from us. Yes. Right. Yeah. Very good. Oh, this is good. But Aaron, there's a lot here. So, so I, I Advice for a new CEO, a new nonprofit CEO coming up. I mean, we've talked a little bit about board. We've talked about work. We've talked about you know structuring things. So, what advice do you give, or would you give to a, a new, newer nonprofit CEO? Uh, well, um, I would say I, I would say several things. The first thing I would say is time management. It's so important. Um, I learned the hard way after decades of doing it the stupid way. So I would say time management is really important and not to forget to fill your own cup. Um, and maybe filling your own cup might be surrounding yourself with really smart people uh, that have, they've got a handle on things and stay out of their stuff. I mean, that that's also a, an important piece of time management. Um, and also, when you fill your cup, fill your cup with things that are both personally and professionally fulfilling. Um, several years ago, I, I formed a um, roundtable of um, nonprofit CEO women. And we many of us were either new to our role or going through something, a major transition. Uh, and we've been meeting for probably about seven years now, eight years. And it's, it does fill my cup, but it also keeps me very grounded. It's lonely sometimes to be the CEO because you can't, I, my husband doesn't want to hear it. Um, I don't want to dump everything on the board. I can't share with the people that are looking to me to keep it all together. And so having some people that you can trust and share with, I think is another uh, tip that I would share. Um, and then being organized, I think... You know, when you, we were talking about how do you do it all, I don't think if if you don't have a natural affinity for organization, figure one out. Come up with systems that make good sense to you, whether it's color coding or doing something different with your calendar or just um, like the compliance calendar or the activities calendar where I know certain things have to happen at certain times. That really, I mean, that the people around me trust that I'm going to get stuff done because I'm organized. And so I would say organization. And then flexibility is another one. I, I would say if stuff happens, I mean, it, if you've lived for more than 20 years, you know stuff just happens, but it's usually not the end of the world. And remaining flexible and keeping your sense of humor is key. Um, especially in a leadership role, nobody wants to see the leader sweating. Nobody wants to see the leader freaking out. 
And so by remaining flexible and say, saying to everybody, we make mistakes, we move on, it's okay. I think that gives uh, provides a sense of calm um, when calm is needed. And I think that's so important as a leader to have that, that to maintain that sense of calm. And I think that's just really, really important. And then the last thing I would probably say is communicate. It is the reason things break down in marriages and families and neighborhoods and workplaces and everything. There's an assumption that communication has happened, and that's usually a bad assumption to make. And so I think being clear about things, being open, uh, being regular with communications, I think it just helps whether you're communicating with your teams, um, your spouse, your neighbors, or with your board with your constituents, with your donors, with your volunteers. I walk through and I say, ask me, what do you want to ask me? Ask me anything. I'll tell you anything. Um, but that regular two-way communication is so invaluable. And the other side of that is listening and listening. So you are open or you're an open receptacle to learn something every day, to be hungry, to learn something every day, because I still don't know it all. And I learn something every single day from somebody around me. Aaron McLeod, ladies and gentlemen, you are so comfortable in the CEO role. I hope any CEO can get as comfortable as you. And you've been in that role for eight years and it really, really came across. I can't thank you enough for sharing your wisdom, your tidbits. This has been a wonderful interview. And Aaron, thank you. And thank you for what you're doing in our community. Oh, thank you, Michael. I appreciated the opportunity. And I love what you're doing with 501C3Me. 2C3Me. <laughs> I 501 see you the podcast for nonprofit board members. C3U. I used to have to write it down. <laughs> Very good. It's wonderful. Uh, thank thank you. you so much, Aaron. All right. It's time for recapping with Reed. Read our interview with Aaron McLeod. You've identified three nuggets. Please share with us. Number one. Number one is to create a board compliance calendar or a board calendar. So you always know what you have to do when you have to do it. Great advice. Great advice. Number two. The more the board engages with the staff, the more connected they will feel to the mission of the organization. Yes, you're absolutely right, Reid. Thank you for number two. Number three. And to include staff in board meetings, because when the board is able to hear it from the people that are carrying out the mission on a day-to-day -day basis, it gives a better perspective for the board members. Yeah, you're, you're right. And you heard her say where she could turn or her predecessor turn and say, well, this is the person running it. What do you think? And having that expert uh, share with the board, you're absolutely right. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, recapping with three, read three nuggets from our interview with Aaron. And we will I-501 see you next week.